0: listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Hear the word of God. This is a reading from John chapter 19 into 2018. It's on page 882 if you want to follow along. Now there was a garden in the place where Jesus was crucified and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so because it was the Jewish day of preparation and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, "Rabuni," which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The word of God.
1: Thanks, Kurt. Good morning, everyone. He is risen, there we go, I just had to do it one more time, we might do it two or three more times over the course of the sermon, we'll see, if, if I see folks nodding off, uh, we might give it a shot, <clears throat> see how it goes, would it be okay if we have some real talk this morning, like, would that be alright, I know, I know it's Easter, there's visitors here, we're all in our best behavior, I'm wearing a suit for crying out loud, <clears throat> and, it's, and it's hot, it's hot in a suit, I gotta say. But on this Resurrection Sunday, could we open up with some real talk? Like, could that be okay? Okay, good. Here it is. I suspect that most of you have heard this story before. Am I right? Yeah, most of us have heard this story a lot. Now, there's, there's always that possibility, right? There's always that possibility that there's somebody here on Easter Sunday who is just like, What? He came back, twist ending, right? But, and, and if that's you, if that's you, you are welcome here, and, uh, and we should go get coffee or something, because that would be a good talk. But that's not most of us, right? Like, that's not most of us. Most of us have heard this story a lot. If you grew up in church, or if you go to church regularly, you've heard this, this story probably more times than you can count. And there's something that happens when you hear a story again and again, and again, year after year, it starts to lose its impact. Familiarity breeds disinterest, if nothing else. And when you've heard a story this many times, even a story as wild as this one, it can start to lose a bit of its luster, I think. So with our time together this morning, I wanna take a fresh look at this story. I want to see if we can unearth anything new. I want to see if there's something to this familiar tale that maybe we've missed. Because people have been telling this story now for about 2,000 years. For a story like this to stick around that long, there's got to be more to it than what we see on the surface. There's a reason we come back to this story time and time again, year after year. There's something subversive. Something inspiring, maybe even a little dangerous, about a story like this. And I want to see if we can't unearth some of that this morning. Does that sound like a plan? Good. It's good, because that's, that's what I've got. So. <clears throat> now, something you've got to know about these gospel stories in our Bibles, like right off the bat, is that they are loaded with references and callbacks to other stories, to older stories, the stories from the scriptures of ancient Israel, what we all know as the Old Testament. On Tuesday afternoons, we have a Bible study here at the church, and we've been working our way through the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah is the Old Testament book that's quoted the most often in the Gospels. So it's very normal on a given Tuesday, we start out in Isaiah, then we flip back to the Gospels, then we're back in Isaiah. The Gospels are just loaded with these Old Testament references. And the Gospel of John, what our reading from today is from, is no different. John is making all sorts of callbacks to the Old Testament in his writing. And it's really easy for us to miss this stuff. To see the references, you kind of have to start in the beginning. John 1, verse 1, the opening line of John's Gospel In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. How many of you have heard that line before? How many of you that has some familiarity? That's a lot of you. Very good. John's gospel opens with this like relatively famous, very poetic, epic introduction that's talking about God and creation and this word of God, the Christ that was present with God from the very beginning. In the beginning. That's a line we've heard before. The opening phrase of John's gospel is a reference to an even older book in our Bibles, the very first book in our Bibles, Genesis, which opens with another familiar line. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How many of you know this one? That's almost all of you. Very good. You guys know your Bibles. Good job. Now, opening his gospel with in the beginning would have been a super obvious reference to John's original audience. The Hebrew title for the book of Genesis is Bereshit. Can I hear you all say Bereshit? Bereshit. Good, excellent pronunciation. Bereshit is Hebrew for in the beginning. The original title of Genesis is in the beginning. Everybody reading John's gospel would have got this reference. This would almost be like if you made a movie today, and the opening line was a long time ago in a galaxy far far away we would all get that reference right yeah and if you don't get that reference that's okay it is of course the opening line of the movie star trek right which movie star wars yes you know see you know this stuff you know it so john opens his gospel with this very obvious reference to genesis Bear a sheets in the beginning it's kind of interesting But the parallels between John's Gospel and the book of Genesis don't end there. If you actually read John's Gospel, you discover that John is a major Genesis fanboy. The book of Genesis famously opens with this epic, poetic introduction, uh, this creation story, uh, depicting the creation of the world over the course of seven days. And there's this rhythm to this story. Uh, That gives the whole thing its structure. God creates something, there's evening and morning, day one. God makes something else, evening and morning, day two. Evening and morning, day three. All the way through to day seven. This is what gives the opening chapter of Genesis its structure. John piggybacks on this idea in his gospel. But instead of using days, John's gospel is structured around these signs. These very public, uh, miraculous displays of power that Jesus does throughout the gospel. Early on in the book of John, Jesus is at this wedding and they run out of wine, which what could be more embarrassing than running out of booze at a wedding? That would be like running out of eggs at an Easter egg hunt, which is not going to happen today. But then Jesus, at this wedding, at the urging of his mother, which is kind of weird, turns water into wine. And the party continues. And then we read, this was the first sign, which is interesting. Then a couple chapters later, Jesus heals this young boy. And we read, this was the second sign. There are seven signs in the first part of John's gospel. Seven powerful, miraculous displays that give the story its structure. And it perfectly parallels the seven days of creation in Genesis. And the seventh sign? I think this one's my favorite. Jesus on the cross, declaring it is finished, after which he gives up his spirit and he rests. From the start of the Sabbath on Friday night through the Sabbath day on Saturday, Jesus' body lies in the tomb and he rests. It is finished. Back to Genesis. On the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and then he rested. How cool is that? Do you see what John is doing in his gospel? He's using these signs, this structure of seven, to guide the flow of the whole story. And with the seventh sign, you'd think that's it. You'd think that's the end. We've gone through the course of creation Seven days, seven signs, now Jesus is dead, the end of a very tragic story. But then Jesus is laid in the tomb, and we're told that the tomb is a garden. Now, there was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so because it was the Jewish day of preparation and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. The tomb is a garden. That's our first sign of hope. And it's another callback to Genesis and that very first creation story which takes place in a garden. The very next line we read, early on the first day of the week, While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed. So wait just a second. Not only are we in the garden, but it's the first day of the week. We've already been through seven days of creation, the seven signs of John's gospel, even including the day of rest. So this is the first day of the week. It would be the first day of a new week. The eighth day if you will. But that's kind of confusing, all these numbers. I mean, the creation story only has seven days. Seven days and God made everything. What could come on day eight? That would have to be something new. The eighth day, the resurrection in the empty tomb, is the beginning of a whole new creation. A new creation that is breaking forth right here in the midst of the old one. With the eighth day, John is subverting and building upon this really old story. You see, for generations, people told this seven-day creation story like that's all there was. Seven days and God created everything. Then God rests. Then we show up and screw it all up. The end, right? Like that's the story oh, here's some religion, here's some laws, here's how you can determine who's in and who's, who's out, here's a list of things to do and a much longer list of things not to do, right? While we wait for God to show up and take us away from this miserable, broken world. That's the old story. And the resurrection changes Everything. The resurrection reveals that God is not done with this world. The raising of Jesus means that we've entered into a whole new week in the history of creation. It's the eighth day, the first day of a new creation, and we are all invited to participate. Maybe you've heard this resurrection story before and you've just written it off as a miracle. Like the parting of the Red Sea or turning water into wine, it's a magic trick. The kind of thing that would have been really cool to see at the time, but doesn't have a lot of bearing on our lives today. Or maybe you've heard the resurrection used as some sort of a proof, like an argument. God raises Jesus from the dead to prove that he's God. As if God is really that petty, to kill a man just to prove something no the resurrection is the defeat of death and the triumph of a new life the raising of jesus isn't some escapist fantasy it's not a magic trick it's the beginning of the consummation of the world the advent of a new creation once you've come to grips with the resurrection It's impossible to to say stuff like, well, that's just the way it is. This is how it's always been. Things are set in stone. Nothing changes. We just have to take the world as it is. No. The resurrection insists that another way is possible. That might be how things have been, but that's not how they're going to stay. Christ is risen. The new creation is at hand, and everyone is invited to the party. If the resurrection is true, if the tomb is really empty, if death has been defeated, well, then anything's possible. We're never stuck with what we have. You might as well take that risk. You might as well start that conversation Repair that broken relationship. Take that stand. Answer that call. Start that revolution. Because death has been defeated. So we have nothing to lose. Do you see why this would have been such a dangerous story back in the day? Do you see why the powers that be in empires like ancient Rome and modern-day China lock people up for telling a story like this? Resurrection is very dangerous if the system already works for you. If the system's rigged in your favor, if if you're invested in maintaining the present order, well, then resurrection might actually come as bad news. Because resurrection insists that something new has arrived. The way things are isn't the way they're going to stay. In Christ, God is making all things new. Mary returns to the empty tomb and she's weeping. She hasn't really come to terms with the gravity of what's going on. She thinks Jesus' body has been stolen but then she sees Jesus outside the tomb and before she recognizes him she assumes he's the gardener. That's another reference to Genesis by the way and that very first creation story in the garden of eden where there was another man named adam and what was adam's job what was his vocation does anyone know he was a gardener yes he was a gardener good adam was charged with maintaining the first creation and we've all seen that play out right like we've all seen the outcome of the way of adam broken relationships, expulsion from paradise, environmental destruction, death, war, famine, violence, you name it. The descendants of Adam have kind of made a mess of things, haven't we? But God is not done with creation. There's a new gardener in town, and his name is Jesus And his way is about taking all these broken pieces of creation and putting them back together. Calming the storms, healing the sick, liberating the oppressed, giving sight to the blind, restoring our relationships with God, each other, ourselves, the earth, bringing outcasts back into community, even raising the dead. Maybe you've been hurt by organized religion at some point in the past. Maybe you've been convinced that you're no good, that uh, your story's done, the book is closed, God could never love someone like you, you could never be welcome in a place like this. For whatever reason, whatever guilt or shame you're carrying, you've been convinced that that's just the way it is. The resurrection says no to all of that. We are not stuck in the way of Adam. Nothing is ever lost. Nothing is ever wasted. A new creation has begun with the rising of Christ, and everyone is invited to the party. God is not finished with you yet. The cross is not the end of the story. Death is not the end of the story. A new creation is here, and all we have to do is open our hands to receive it. Maybe that's why this story has stuck around for 2,000 years. Maybe that's why we come back to this story time and time again, year after year, to remind ourselves that another way is possible, that another world is possible, that we don't have to live in brokenness, and despair but we are all invited into a new life with god in christ that begins right here and now that's the story of the resurrection new creation the eighth day let's pray god thank you for the empty tomb Thank you for the promise of new life that is ours in Christ. I pray that you would overtake our church, Lord, and this community with the hope of the resurrection. Empower us to see that we are never stuck with things as they are, but that you have called us to participate in the work of making all things new. Thank you for never closing the book on us, God. And thank you for the gift of new life that is ours in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks
0: for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.